Welcome to the Yellow Balloons Podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from Scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this episode, we return to the book of Ezekiel for a look at two of the book's most controversial passages. The last part of Ezekiel wraps up with a prophecy and a blueprint. We examine these passages as well as the continued history of the exile, exploring what this prophecy means for both the people of Israel and for us. Well, welcome. We're uh, continuing our Exile and Return series. Today, what I want to talk about is the last part of Ezekiel. We've, we've looked at Ezekiel quite extensively in this Exile and Return series. And Ezekiel, as you recall, is living in the Babylon, area of Babylon, not in the city. He, he was in the second wave of captivity in 597. There was the 605 B.C. wave of captivity. Daniel was in that one, and then the 597, and Ezekiel was in that one. And much of what he's predicting is the fall of Jerusalem in 586, where the city's sacked, thousands are killed, uh, and Judah is exiled. And you recall that in 722, uh, Israel had been exiled about to the Assyrians. And so now 586, we're about to have the Judah exile, which lasts for 70 years, and then there's a partial return. And we've been talking about this exile and return as a, as a major theme of the Scripture, that the first act, physical act of death that took place in the Garden of Eden was exile. Socrates chose exile, I'm sorry, chose hemlock over exile. He was given the choice. Exile is a form of death because life largely exists in community. And here these people are being exiled from the land. And it's a, it's a picture. And ultimately our exile from the Garden of Eden is restored when the Garden of Eden is restored in the new earth. So all these, all these pictures and all these lessons have to do with kind of the whole flow of human history and they have micro lessons for us as well. So we've been going through uh, Ezekiel in particular as of, as of late and today what I want to do is to cover two passages in Ezekiel that are both very controversial. Uh, one is a prophecy of, that I'm going to say is happening in front of our own eyes. Uh, and most, most theologians completely disagree with that. And then another is a blueprint for a building, a temple. And it's like eight chapters long. It's, it's the longest explanation of a building in the Scripture, so you would think that that would be really important, but most theologians don't really buy it. They, they call it figurative. You have an eight-chapter eight blueprint, and they say it's figurative. And we'll talk about that. So... Uh, let's start with the end time prophecy that I think is uh, happening in front of our eyes. And uh, let's go to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. Again, Ezekiel is prophesying from the area of Babylon. And it says, The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of dry bones. Now, you may be familiar with this passage, even if you've never read it, because of the song. Hear the word of the Lord, Ezekiel saw those dry bones. Remember that song? The foot bone's connected to the ankle bone, the ankle bone's connected to the shin bone. Well, that comes from this chapter here. It was full of bones. 
Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. So what's the picture you have in your head here? Think of a Western movie. What do you got? A cow head, right? You got a cow head with the horns, and it's it's in the desert, all bleached, and somebody's, you know, on their feet, on their belly, crawling. Water, water. That's that's the idea you should have here. Verse three, and he said to me, "Son of man, can these bones live?" Now, what's the natural answer to that? No, of course not. But Ezekiel knows better. He says, "Oh Lord God, you know." Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I'll cause you breath to enter you and you shall live. I'll put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin, put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you'll know I'm the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. This is like a a, a horror movie in reverse. (laughs) Also, he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Now, you know in the Bible, breath and spirit is the same word, ruach. Breath, spirit, wind. They're all all the same word. Uh, One of the times we went to Israel, our God would say, every time the wind would be blowing, he'd say, God is here. And it's a great picture. So the breath, General God, God winded into Adam. He breathed into Adam. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath. Breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet in an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry. Our hope is lost. We ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. This exile is happening. I'm going to bring you back. Then you shall know that I'm the Lord when I've opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I'll put my spirit in you. You shall live. I'll place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and performed it, says the Lord. Again, the word of the Lord came to me and said, As for you, son of man, take a stick for yourself and write on it for Judah and the children of Israel. So here you've got this prophecy of this restoration taking place. And, you know, there, there, was a, there was a partial fulfillment of this that takes place um, toward the end of um, this 70 years that Jeremiah prophesies under Ezekiel. I'm sorry, not Ezekiel, Ezra. Under Ezra, there's a return of captives from, from Babylon. There's a... Um, a rebuilding of the temple that takes place. Zechariah, both Zechariah and Haggai prophesy this. You know, get that temple built. And they built this wood temple, this little wood temple, and fairly hastily. And when they get it up, uh, the young men cry because they have a temple finally. And the old men cry because it's so pathetic compared to Solomon's temple. 
Uh, and then ne- under Nehemiah, they rebuild the wall. So there's a return Jerusalem from Babylon. But th- this prophecy really, I think, is taking place today. That's the fulfillment is. So let's just talk about kind of the history of exile after this return. So in, in uh, 70 years, you've got a return. They restore the temple. They rebuild the wall. And so from about 500 B.C. Uh, until uh, 160 or something like that, they're, they're living in the land, but they're living under the domination of uh, ru- various kinds of rulers. You know, in a 330 or so B.C., something like that, Alexander the Great came in and conquered the known world at that time, including the eastern uh, powers. And his, his empire was divided into four parts, and one of the generals that, that took it took uh, the Syrian area, and that ended up, uh, and one of them took uh, the Egypt area, and the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. So these are Greek rulers in uh, areas that are ruling people that aren't Greek. And uh, Israel then bounces back and forth for several hundred years between the Ptolemies and the Seleucids, just like they had in this time period here when, they, when they're basically Jeremiah, as we, as we study, Jeremiah says, don't break your treaty with Babylon. If you put your faith in Egypt, I'm going to have them wipe you out. So they're bouncing back and forth. This same thing happens now under Greek rulers. And in 160-something... Uh, 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 a Greek ruler called Antiochus Epiphanes goes and sacrifices a pig in the temple, erects a statue to Zeus in the temple, outlaws Judaism, no practices of Judaism allowed. I'm going to eradicate this. We're going to go all Hellenistic. And the Maccabees, or the Hasmoneans, stand up and revolt. And against all odds, they defeat this massive power. And then for about 100 years, these, this priestly family rules Israel. And then the uh, Sadducees, that splits into two parts, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, come from this Maccabeans. So these are heroes of the Jewish nation. We think of them as bad guys, but um, they had certainly a rotten... They became rotten, but they're from a very heroic core. So they split into two factions, and they get in a dispute over who should be the ruler in Israel because they've kind of got things divided up, and they invite in a third party to resolve it, Rome. And Rome says, I vote for me. (laughs) So now Rome becomes the ruler. And so when, uh, when we come to the biblical event of Linus and Charlie Brown doing Christmas... Uh, and they're reading the Christmas story in the so-so year of Augustus Caesar. And Augustus Caesar says everyone should be taxed. Rome's now in control. And, of course, Pontius Pilate was Roman. Well, Jesus came and said, I'm your Messiah, accept me, and I will restore the kingdom. And first, you repent on the inside, and then we'll have the kingdom on the outside. And the people say, we'll just take the outside part. And Jesus says, that's not the way it works. Dies, is rejected, ascends. Right before he ascends, after he's spoken to them 40 days concerning the kingdom of God, they have one question that's recorded in Acts 1. Okay, we finally get it. 
Is it now that you'll restore the kingdom to Israel? And he says, not for you to know when. I just want you to go wait for power to come. And I want you to use that power until that day arrives. 30, 40 years later, Rome comes in. Uh, there's a revolt. The Jews revolt. This, kind of, this revolt's been brewing all along. And uh, Rome devastates Herod's temple, knocks down the walls, and deports the Jews once again. Uh, there's some left. There's, there's a significant number left, but massive de- destruction. You know the story of Masada. This happens in the 70 A.D. period. There's a thousand people that take their lives rather than being captured by Israel. Well, up in the north by Galilee, in a city called Gamla, 5,000 zealots jumped off of a mountain to keep from getting captured. 5,000. This is just a few minutes' walk from Capernaum. And the reason that Jesus chose His disciples was because they had that attitude. And we have Simon the Zealot. He was actually one of the zealots. The other people were zealot sympathizers. You have multiple times in the Scripture where they say, well, let's go die with him. Peter, I'll die with you tonight. I'm not going to betray you. Takes out his knife. He's ready to do it. Uh, The only reason they disperse is because Jesus submits to arrest and their paradigm's broken. They don't understand what's going on. And when they're restored, Jesus says to them, "You you you will die. And they did. They gave their lives. A different way than they expected coming in. Well, again, Jerusalem was devastated. But 60 years later, there's another revolt, the Bar Kokhva revolt, as I think is what it's called. And this time, the emperor is Hadrian. And Hadrian has just had enough. So he comes in levels what's left and and builds, clears off the rubble and builds a temple to Jupiter on the Temple Mount. The Jews that are left, he, he, he says, you may not even enter this city of Jerusalem. You can't even come in. Uh, and in this particular revolt, it's just complete devastation. And there's sprinkling of Jews that live in the land from then till recent times, but that's basically it. And he changes the name. Yeah, he changes the name to Elon and Capilatina. Yeah, after, after apparently Jupiter's full name is Jupiter Capitolina or something like that. And he changes the name of Israel to um, Philistia or Palestine. So he's just so ticked off at the Jews that he's saying, How, what can we name that's the most... He could have named it Pigville, you know, but instead he named it Philistineville after their old ancient enemies, enemies who don't even exist anymore. So this area is known as Palestine from then until recent times. Some of the guides that we had in our recent trip said that they're, they're Jewish and they're native Israelis and they said their parents had birth certificates that said they're Palestinian. There's actually no ethnic group called Palestinian. It's just a place that Hadrian named and, and, the, and the name stuck for a long time. So then, then you've got, uh, th- uh, what, what would that be? Uh, 12, yeah, you've got 1,800 years where mostly the, the, um, it's under either pagan 
are Muslim rule, the, the, the land. So, uh, the, you have the various groups of Muslims, the uh, Muslims from Egypt, Muslims from uh, Turkey. The, the most recent, and of course there's a crusader period in there where the crusaders came and liberated the land, as they, as they said. Uh, and then the last hundreds of years, it's under the Ottoman Turks. Uh, so let's say around 1900, um, let's say in the 1860s, Mark Twain visits the land, and he writes something to this effect. This land is barren of trees and vegetation, has marshes, it's certainly no land of milk and honey, and it's virtually uninhabited. Now the Turks had a policy that they taxed trees, so everyone chopped their tree down, trees down. Uh, and they, they were not of a culture to be enterprising. So basically, it just turned the place into a wasteland. Uh, Zionism began right around 1900, and some Jewish settlers started coming back. The early Jewish settlers, and largely in response to pogroms in, in Russia and places like that. They're being, it's kind of like, well, we can die, or we can go try to immigrate to our native land. It's kind of the proposition they had. Not all that dissimilar to the pilgrims that came over to America. Uh, In their case what they said is we're going to lose our children or we're going to risk our lives. And they came to America. Similar kind of concept design. And when they came to Israel, large numbers of them died of malaria because it was most the area where there's a lot of water, it was mostly swamp. And they came in and formed these kibbutzes um, and they started watering, planting trees, watering them by hand, uh, reclaiming the marsh. Today, Israel is an incredibly productive area. Um, there's 7 million Israelis, 350 million Arabs in the surrounding countries, and Israel's uh, gross domestic products bigger than all the surrounding countries combined. And that's in the period of you know, 100 years. Pretty amazing. In 1948, Israel became a country under the United Nations mandate, largely in response to the atrocities that took place in uh, in, in Germany, and well, not Germany, Eastern Germany and Eastern Europe. There were about six million Jews that died, which was you know something like two thirds of the population that was in that area. It was really devastating and. Uh, it was, it was a policy that was greatly supported by the then ruler of the land of Israel, the Grand Mufti. Uh, I forget his name. And so they got this opportunity, and David Ben-Gurion was the, was the leader of the, of the movement. Uh, he, was a, he was kind of their George Washington. When, when he got done being prime minister, he moved down into the desert, down to Beersheba, uh, which is, is like our territory around here except without the rain and uh, he, uh, he, he they had a water project up from uh, the Sea of Galilee down into the desert to make the desert bloom and, and that he thought we're, we're going to lose this territory if we don't make it populated was his basic idea and he spent the rest of his life down there working you know, alongside all the other regular Israeli people so 
we've seen a miracle take place. In, in 1948, when that uh, UN resolution passed, all the surrounding countries, Egypt, Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, a couple others, of course, didn't agree with that. And so they attacked basically the next day. Britain had the mandate, it was after World War I, the Ottoman Turks uh, sided with Germany and lost, so they divvied up uh, all the Middle East into pieces. This took a map out and drew, you know, we'll make these the countries, uh, pretty well arbitrarily. And uh, Britain had not allowed the, uh, the burgeoning nation to arm. So, so... Um, they basically fought seven armies or six armies with stuff they had been able to cobble together and a militia. There's absolutely no reason that they should have won. Uh, humanly speaking, it was impossible, but they did. So I think, I think we're actually seeing this prophecy come alive in our time. Now, this doesn't mean there couldn't be another exile and another return. Or the prophecy have several phases. <clears throat> I'm not a person that says <clears throat> we see the signs and so this has to be the generation. Uh, but it sure could be. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind there could be. So I was just there, Terry and I were, and uh, the uh, economic progress they've made in the last 20 years is fairly stunning. As a matter of fact, we... Usually when you go overseas, you're really aware you're not in America. You know, there's, 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 uh, there's evidence all around you that America is much more prosperous and, and uh, much more developed. And, you know, in Israel, you can't really tell much difference. It just really feels like you're in America, except, except when somebody tells you that's 4,000 years old, you know, which we don't really have that version of that. Uh, so Ezekiel saw this and he said this is going to happen of course giving hope and for 2,000 years the Jews had little hope Uh, but here it is it's happening and it's really amazing this teaching will continue in the following episode thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast if you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowbloons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowbloons.net. Thanks for listening. 